This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. My dad used to say when, when he would get frustrated with, uh, with me and my two sisters growing up, he would yell. He's like, what is your major malfunction? I remember going up like, dumbest thing. Like, whatever the other day, my kids just got on my nerves. And I was like, what is your major malfunction? I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so my dad right now. Dory one, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to Military Veteran Dad, episode 85. This week's episode is one that I recorded back in, I think, May, and it is just as good as when I recorded it can't tell you how often I re-listened to the episode, getting it ready to launch, and I'm just like, man, this was such a good episode. And this one does not disappoint. We have today Olivia Nunn, who is the host of Soldier for Life podcast. So being a Marine, I'm not fully familiar with the Army's systems and processes, but one of them I am familiar with is the new tagline that they have is Soldier for Life. They really have this new initiative to help soldiers identify that even when you take off the uniform, you never stop being a soldier and you always look out for each other. And the stories that we talk about of how Olivia's father shaped how sh- who she is, and we talk about legacy, which if you're a listener of the podcast, you know legacy is something we talk about pretty much every episode. It's pretty much a certainty. Olivia unpacks it beautifully of how her father helped shape her life and how she is already shaping her kid's life. It's just an amazing episode where we talk about the basics of military veteran dad fundamentals, and Olivia brings it home to talk about it from the other side, the spouse side, about how she's received it in her marriage. They went through three deployments in Iraq before they had kids, but she talks about and opens up about how that was a hard time for her. So without further ado, let's just get started with Olivia Nunn, because this episode is going to rock, and I'll talk to you again on the other side of the episode. Welcome to the podcast, Olivia. Thank you so very much for the opportunity to spend this afternoon with you. You are part of the elite few that have been on this podcast that we've invited as women. And men often strategize with each other men trying to figure out what women are thinking. And when we get access to get someone on the other side, it shortcuts so much of that learning. So I'm really excited for this conversation that we're about ready to have here. Thank you. And I always say that, hey, in order to make change, we have to be at the table. But at the same time, when we have a seat at the table, we have to remember that we bring the other 50% of the equation, which is men. And so I think it's important that we're allies together in making whatever change is necessary to improve our communities. So Olivia runs the Soldier for Life podcast, and I've met her a couple times. And we met again in PodFest in March. And it's been on my heart in the last few months. I was like, I need to get her on the podcast. And we talked about it. And so we made it happen. And here's our conversation. Olivia, go ahead and tell everybody that listening about your background, who you are, and a little bit about your family life. 
Yeah. So I am a lieutenant colonel in the United States Army. I'm active duty and I serve as the director of communication for U.S. Army Soldier for Life, which is a strategic organization on behalf of the United States Army, where we go and work with organizations and people that want to give back to the military community and in a way of an opportunity such as employment, education, health and wellness. And when I speak of military community, I'm talking about those that are currently serving our active duty, our reserve, our guard, as well as our veterans and our military spouses. And I have been serving for 19 years and I'm looking to retire next year. I am dual military. I'm married to actually another army officer. He's a cyber warfare officer and we have two kids and live in the DC region. And I got to this position uh, because I became a public affairs officer back in 2008. But prior to that, I commissioned as a chemical officer. And so I spent a lot of time at Fort Hood, Texas. My husband was armor previous. And so I did three lovely tours to Iraq. Tough times, but definitely, I think, what helped shape and develop me as a leader. You know, I really got into the whole concept of in the of being in the Army because of my dad. My, uh, my dad joined the Army when he was 17, and uh, one of his duty assignments landed him in Korea, met my mom, uh, got married, and, you know, he continued with his life and had three kids, and I'm the oldest of three girls. And I am daddy's little girl, and daddy was in the Army, and I wanted to be in the Army. I had no idea what that meant just other than that's what daddy does. So therefore I should do that. But for Koreans, it's a big deal to go to college to get your education. So my dad was like, I don't want you to enlist. I want you to be an officer because I want you to go and get your education. So that's what I did. Went to college, commissioned, and um, didn't know how long I was going to be in the army. But here I am 19 years later and looking back going, wow, what what an incredible ride. How old are your kids that you have? I have two, a seven-year-old girl and a three-year-old boy. So I'm, so my husband and I are kind of older parents. I wanted to achieve certain milestones within my career, uh, like such as company command and things like that. And I just felt for us that the time to start a family just wasn't right. And especially with three deployments to Iraq, one of them being 15 months long, you know, starting a family just kept getting pushed off, pushed off. And then finally I felt like I was mature enough and I was ready in within my own career, my career timeline. And then I had some fertility issues that I had to go through. And so by the time I was almost 35, I had my first kid. So whereas most of my friends who are, you know, at this stage in their life, at this age and this stage in the game in their career, they're, they're about to be empty nesters. They're going to be retiring from the army and their kids are going to college. And here I am with little ones. Uh, One is still running around trying to be potty trained. So different set of adventure for sure. And I would, there's, it's kind of an oxymoron that people talk about that you have kids when you're younger, but you're really only wise enough to raise them when you're older. Like you may be jealous that your other kids are entering college. Like I would be jealous almost of you because you've had a seasoned depth to your view. And you're at a season of life where you have the the maturity to really fully embrace parenting, not get distracted with work, not chase work over being a parent, not being connected, being present. And I would say you almost got the perfect kind of scenario that you're being, and as you you leave, you're getting ready to be present for the years of your kid's life that everybody wants back versus when my, I was like 28 when I had my first kid, like that was when you're trying to hustle. Like you said, you put your career there to try to get certain milestones. But therefore, when you're when you're younger, you just try to like survive, and you often don't realize you're missing out on those core memories in the beginning that don't ever come back. Yeah, that's definitely a trade off. I think whereas um, the maturity and uh, maturity and wealth as well in terms of being able to give to my kids, you know, 
don't have a want for anything, right? They are some spoiled kids, even I will admit to that. But the nice thing is that I am in a better position. The part that I struggle with is that because I because I am older is that I just I'm not a spring chicken, so I get tired a little more. Um, so that's that's a struggle. And I want to think that I'm hip and still into the new stuff. So hopefully I won't be like that old ancient mom when my kids are in junior high and high school where they're like, oh my God, I don't want to take my mom anywhere. So well, I think the best advice to stay hip is just really stay encased in their imagination. Like as long as you live in their world, you'll never get left behind. I think it's when you let your kid's imagination grow on its own outside of what you want, or you kind of disengage from that connection. Like as long as you're in their imagination, you'll always be kept up kind of because you'll just be, you'll be there. Like my eight-year-old is into the Disney uh, movie Zombies, uh, Descendants, and I've seen zombies probably like 10 times now. And I know the words of the song because she's always singing it. And then I'll be dancing it with her in the kitchen. Like, I feel like by living those memories with her, I kind of stay with her at the same time. Like I don't feel out of place. I'm 35. So I'm not, I don't feel like too out of place yet, but living in that moment is often how I kind of overcome that. Because if you're growing with them in that memory or that imaginative moment, then you're kind of like, you're never going to get left behind because you're right there with them. Yeah. And I hope so. You know, I would say that I, you know, like, I think there's always a part of you that when you are growing and you want to be a parent, either a part of you says, I want to be exactly like my mom or my dad when I have my own kids, or there's a part of you that's like, I don't, don't want to be like my parents for whatever reason. And I'm definitely, you know, I was very close to my dad, not so much with my mom, but now I have an amazing relationship with my mom that I didn't have before. And so there are parts that now I understand as a parent why my parents did what they did. And so I, it's a balance of trying to be like my mom, but at the same time, trying to be my own self. My mom is, you know, she's Korean and she grew up in a different culture and she was a tiger mom. She is a tiger mom. She's not a tiger grandma, which is interesting. Like she, my grand, her grandkids could get away with anything, but with me, she was very strict. I mean, there was no give. There was a certain level that I had to achieve every single day. And as a kid growing up, I hated that. I hated every part of it. But as an adult, I look back like, wow, that's the foundation that I've been able to grow up on. Why I'm disciplined, why I can stay focused and get things done. Because my mom drilled that into my head. Um, and so as a parent watching my own daughter grow, you know, those are types of tools that I'm trying to give to her. Um, but at the same time, kind of remembering what life was like when I went through and maybe not so intense and try to kind of give my daughter a little more space. So sometimes I'm good at that. And other times I, you know, I, in the day and I'm like, wow, that was probably a little too rough. Um, the superpower that I kind of recognize as a parent, like, cause I didn't necessarily feel like I grew up, I grew up on a farm. So, I mean, I knew what work was, but I didn't feel like I was disciplined to, to keep going when I didn't want to. But I think as a parent, like one thing I use now is a lot of my stories from the past. And I think like, I don't think it's wrong to do what your mom did, but I think to back it up with that, like complete understanding, because like kids are smarter than we give them credit for. So like my eight year old, I'm always consistently sharing a story about like a time where my life was unfair because she's kind of at the stage like, that's unfair, that's unfair. He got this, she got that. And it's super annoying. But so I'll share a story about how boot camp, you get screwed over for one person and 80 people have to suffer. Like she really, really enjoyed that story. And I can see that thread getting woven into her choices today or every day that she's trying to do better. And I think that's one thing that parents don't realize in their arsenal, especially military people. We have such great stories. Like use your stories to help teach that lesson versus kind of just saying, because I told you so, like 
no one likes that. But if you tell the story, like they get to know you, they get to understand a reason, but then they just feel connection and they can maybe understand a little bit better. I'd like to go back a little bit to, you mentioned that your dad was in the army as well, that you met your mom in Korea. I want to ask, what did you think as a military child growing up and seeing the world without really understanding it? How did that essentially change who you are, or not change, but help identify who you are? And that's not even the right word. How did that help you grow into who, who, who you are today based on being a military child and seeing and being exposed to the world at a young age? Yeah, so my dad is actually half Korean and half English. He was born in Korea and he was adopted as a child to an American family. So he grew up in America. And, um, you know, being a biracial child himself, he had a, he had a hard time growing up as a kid, as a young kid in Korea. And then in America, he went to Midwest America. My, uh, my dad's side of the family is from Minnesota and he, he had some difficulty with that. And so he joined the army because he wanted to leave town. And that was the thing that she did in the late seventies. And he ended up going to Korea. He took an assignment to Korea and he met my mom. And so really, I'm actually three quarters Korean and a quarter English. And being a biracial child um, born in the late 70s, growing up in the 80s and 90s was actually really tough for me. My dad and my mom wanted to give their kids the best. And so for us at the time, it was about survival. And the survival at the time in, in America was try to be as Caucasian as possible, like try to blend in and try to be just like everybody else. And while my dad was in the army, we never lived on post, but one time we lived, uh, most of my growing up was actually in Washington state, just right outside of joint base, Lewis McCord back then known as Fort Lewis. And so most of my friends were not in the military. And so for me, it was trying to be like everybody else. I, there was literally maybe five to 10 kids in all of my elementary junior high that were not Caucasian. Everybody was Caucasian and I was at one and everyone singled me out because I looked different. And because not only that, everybody else that was a minority, they were all Korean or all African-American or what, or Hispanic. For me, I was the, bi, the one biracial child. And for me, that was a little tough growing up because I was always reminded by both sides, by both communities. I was never enough. I wasn't white enough for the kids I grew up with. And I was never uh, Korean enough for the Korean community. They always reminded me that I was mixed. And as a child, that's really tough because as humans, we want to fit in. We want to be just like everybody else. And that was hard for me to understand. I dress like you. I eat like you. I go to your school. I don't understand why you think I'm different from you. And so that was really tough for me growing up and, and understanding what that was. And it, it wasn't really until I was in high school that I understood that that the reasons why I had difficulty in getting dates sometimes was really in an epiphany that happened on my senior, my last day of my senior year, that one of the guys that I'd grown up with made a comment to me. He's like, well, you've always been a great friend and I'm so glad we're friends. Um, I just wish that we could have dated, but my parents would have never let me. And I just kind of looked and like, what? And it finally just kind of all dawned on me that my race was an issue. Um, it was always subliminally there, but I just really never got that. So I went to college um, on the East Coast. I actually went to college in Virginia. And I thought that for me, college being first generation Korean American, I thought my only experience with college, first kid going to college, it was going to be like the movies, Animal House, Kid in Place, um, 
house party. Like I thought that's what college was going to be this melting pot of people and color and diversity. And I picked a school, which I didn't realize was Radford University, that my college was just like my high school. There was almost no diversity. So I show up to this small college in the middle of nowhere, Virginia, and I look around like, wow, this looks just like my high school, just on the other side of of the United States. I I was going to get something different, but it was exactly the same. But I ended up learning and growing so much through that. And I had an epiphany my my freshman year. I just, I literally woke up in the middle of the night and our beds were bunked and I bumped the bunk above me as my roommate. And I woke her up and of course she wasn't happy. And I was like, Hey, I'm three quarters Korean and a quarter English. And my room was like, great, Olivia. I know that. No, 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 no. You don't understand. That's who I am. And no amount of scrubbing my face is going to change this. I'm going to look like this and I'm okay with that. And if you're not okay with that, then we're not meant to be friends. But coming to that epiphany and coming to that was such a relief. And so from that moment on, I was just like, hey, I want you to know me and not who I am by my appearance. And uh, it was a, a, a big growing moment for me. And it's kind of how I've looked at life. And something that I've really enjoyed about the Army is that it's such a diverse culture. There, It is so accepting of of who you are. It doesn't matter what social economic background you came from. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. What I care about is, are you going to do your job? And are you going to do it well? And that's what I've really loved about the army. I can see a couple things, uh, the big threads in that, that I could see as you were leading up to the crescendo of leading up to the army, like that could, I could easily see because the, the uniform was the equalizer that you never felt before and that everybody was the same and you were all connected with one word, not in multiple races, not quarter this, quarter that. You were all soldiers together. And, but then I could also see, like, there's something that, because something that scares the hell out of me raising my daughter in a world where Instagram d- provides the amount of value that a woman feels in this world. And that if you have more followers, then you have more worth and value. That's something that, like, one of my bare mat- metrics for, like, if I get her into an adulthood successfully is making sure that she, derives her own value from her own opinion of herself and that what other people believe or think like that, like her brother's always saying stupid things to her. And I'm always like, is it true? Do you believe it? And she's like, no, well, your opinion of yourself is the one that counts the most. Other people are going to say that even at school, there'll be like girl problems or second grade drama playground stuff. But when we had playgrounds and before COVID like all of that, like none of that's true. If you don't believe it, you only give it permission when you believe it. And whatever people say, does it actually determine your worth to anybody? And I have, I, I could resonate a lot because for me in high school, I never, I mean, I was normal. I was a, a white kid, but I never felt like I fit in. And so like you, I was always trying to figure out what I needed to be to fit in and manipulate my personality for different groups. And every time you try to fit in, you lose a bit more of yourself. And I think that's what I also, for me, I joined the Marine Corps kind of as like, I had never really done anything difficult with my life. And I really didn't know what I was made of. And so the Marine Corps kind of gave me that equalizer being the Marine, ignited the furnace of fire like in me. And through that process, like I can see myself now in a way that I never could had I probably not had that big massive furnace from the Marines of just knowing that you can do anything you put your mind to. That's what the military kind of teaches you as a team and stuff like that. But your thread is so amazing. I, like, I appreciate you being vulnerable because that was 
not a story that I think a lot of people are willing to share. And I know there's going to be someone out there listening on either of our podcasts where you said something there that they're, it's going to hit right to the core and maybe they haven't acknowledged. Is there something you do today with your kids to help kind of ensure that they don't get that feeling or get lost in who they are? Yes. So, you know, genetics is a, is a weird thing, right? My daughter looks more like my husband. So for those that don't know, uh, my husband's African American. So my kids are very multiracial, right? They, and so my daughter looks a lot like my husband and my son looks more like me. So he looks very Asian. And what I try to, t- in my son, cause he's three, he doesn't really get this, but for my daughter, you know, I always tell her that she's got a very unique aspect. She she comes from two different sides. She has a rich culture of the Korean heritage that I have that I was able to grow up through. And then she has my husband's African-American roots where knowing about who she is and being in love with herself and that her worth is about what she believes of herself and no one else. And that she's capable of doing whatever it is that she wants to do. And I think that's such a, a great thing to be able to teach her, especially in today as we see so much change, not only just in the military, but with society, that your race shouldn't be the reason to stop you. And I know we still have that conversation, that very real conversation about race is still happening today, right? You turn on the news, look at what's going on, I've had issues within the last two weeks. Um, but I want my daughter to know that um, as a woman, as a woman of color, that she can choose to allow other people to limit her or she can limit herself. And I don't want her to limit herself. And so that's, that's affirmations every single day of telling her that you are worthy, you are beautiful and you have every right. Um, And that's a conversation that I really didn't have with my parents um, because it was all about fitting in. Like it's a, it's a different, it's a different age. Um, We get to be able to really enjoy different cultures now. It's cool. Growing up when I brought home lunch to um to school and it was sushi and stuff, like I remember I got picked on for that. Now it's like you aren't worldly unless you know how to eat sushi, which is really cool. Um, but that wasn't like that. And so I want my daughter to know that she's unique and no one else is going to be like her. And that's a beautiful thing. And that was something that enriched my life, the diversity, like something I'm not proud to say, but it's still true. I didn't have my first Chinese food until I was in Camp Lejeune and in my school. Like we just never had Chinese food for my entire life. And when someone asked me to order, I was like, I don't know. I've never had, I've never ordered Chinese takeout ever. And uh, one of them recommended General Sousa's chicken. And still to this day, that's my go-to Chinese meal. I haven't really diversified within my Chinese food. I did diversify a little bit when I was in Okinawa. I experimented with different stuff. And when I was in Korea, I spent uh, four trips to Korea when I was in Okinawa. I've been to Camp Humphreys and Osan and all those different bases there. And like what you're speaking to as military parents, this is why I, I get so excited for military parents because no one better has an understanding of diversity. No one better understands how to, to, to understand how to work together. And if we can start gifting that stuff to our kids, like that's where they can really start to figure out who they, who they are. Like I'm a big believer, like sending a child to a school for 12 years, they're not going to figure out how they fit into the world. They're going to understand how the world works maybe, but, and they still won't understand how it works because every day you learn how the world works, but they don't know how they fit in, how their unique gifts, 
how does your diversity, for example, fit in? How does that made the world a better place? And once you understand that value, I'm sure there's moments in the army that you can look back on and say, like, I'm glad that I had that diversity because this moment wouldn't have existed. And I was able to help someone because of what I went through and who I am and because I embraced who I am. If you weren't any of that, you wouldn't have been able to have that moment. And most military parents don't embrace their own depth that they get from the military, whether it be visiting third world countries, visiting the Philippines, where you see kids urinating on the street. Like once you see that kind of stuff, you, that adds a, a depth that you can't get in any other place, really. You know, that kind of sparked a, a memory for me. I remember my first uh, deployment to Iraq in 2003, and I was, I was a convoy commander, and I spent a lot of time on the roads. And then towards the end, I was able to do some humanitarian missions and go out into the community and go to some schools and see Iraqi kids and, and work with them. And I remember this girl came up to me and said, you know, I, I had a translator and she wanted to be just like me. And I thought that was like the oddest thing. And what she was saying is that I want to be just like you because I see you as a position of power because they understood our rank structure. And I was a first lieutenant at the time. She's like, one day I get to be like you. I get to have a position of power in my own country. And culturally, that's a huge shift and a huge change. So I, I was just really awed struck by that and just really humbled that we were able to kind of show hope. And it wasn't anything special I did. It was just, I was there and we showed a, a cultural side of America that uh, as a woman, I could still be a leader. And I think that's a huge gift that I think the military gives, especially now, you know, when we changed the laws and said that my gender is not a reason for me not to fulfill any position in the military. And I think really cool. And I think, but the part that we owe to our service members is that we've got to mentor and educate both sides, both men and women on how do we successfully continue to do that integration? How do we lead them through that change, through that fire and developing them so that they could be the very best leader for those that they are entrusted to care for? Um, and, and there's challenges to that because there's no manual, right? The manual was written for so long on a guy to do it. Like we know how to how to achieve that successfully, but how do we do it as a woman? And I think it's important that we have that conversation, an ongoing dialogue on how do we mentor through these changes so that they are equalized in, in every opportunity. And I think a lot of that conversation begins with your self-image and the value that you derive of yourself. Like so much of society and kids today, they derive it all externally. That's why Instagram scares the hell out of me because when my daughter's 18, there's going to be a lot of women that won't feel value unless they have the amount of followers that don't get a certain amount of likes. And that's not where you get the value. That's not where you can believe you can do anything with your life or that the only thing stopping you from doing all this is yourself. And often like that's the people install walls in their life that they don't ever realize that are invisible. They just need to walk through them, but yet they treat it like there's a wall there the entire time. And there really isn't in some cases. It's just people are trained to believe that they're not. You know, I would say, I think back to my dad, you know, the one thing that my dad always harped on and drilled into my head was that my race, my, my gender is never going to be the reason to stop me. I'm going to stop myself. I will place the barriers. And so he was always encouraging me to think beyond what was given to me. And how do I work through that? And both my parents have taught me hard work, you know, how to be focused, how to dig in and to give back. And my, 
my dad says this to, to this day that the 12 years that he spent in the army were some of the best days of his life. He was able to come away from the army, a changed person. And he truly appreciates that. That. And so now he's that old man, right? He's like that old 60 year old grandpa now that's like back in the day and he tells his real stories, <laughs> but you know, but that's, I think that's really cool. And, um, when he comes to DC area, he'll meet up with some of his old friends from his old engineering unit and they love to share war stories. And it's just, it's really great to listen to the, to their stories. And at the end of the day, you know, the common thread is service to our nation. You know, it's a really good thing. It's a, it's a good story. Let's maybe talk about the integration of you and your husband, because I think there's a lot of life lessons that you've probably learned in those 19 years that you've been serving. Has your, how long has your, your husband been serving? Same time. We both committed in the year of 2001. Yeah. So what have you guys learned within your marriage of coming back home to each other each time from a deployment and trying to, because I often say like when, when a dad or a mom is gone, like whoever's left has to figure out how to do life without you. And now you didn't have kids for that entire time but you still have to figure out like you still got used to without, without having them there. And there's still, you both emotionally grew apart, not necessarily like in the context of like love, but that you were both just emotionally growing as people. How have you and your husband over the time kind of reignited or recome back together each one of those times to make sure that you can still keep that bond, even if you were apart. So our first deployment was 2003. It was, you know, the early onset of into Iraq, we're both in 4th Infantry Division, and we just had no idea what deployment was going to be. The only stories that we knew were those that had gone to the Gulf War in the early 90s. So we had no idea what we're going into. And so we both left on that deployment really scared. Like, I, I don't know if I'm going to see him again. And I mean, we moved faster than our, our supply lines. I remember we got one bottle of water a day. I mean, just like we didn't live in those containerized housing units. We lived in tents, sometimes on our vehicle. Um and so it was a different experience. Um, I ate MREs for six months straight. So when we <laughs> finally got some, you know, green looking eggs, I was so excited. Um, but for us, when we, when that, when that deployment was over and we came back, cause we were engaged during that time and we were, I was trying to plan a wedding. I think we were, it was a smoother transition for both of us because we both were just so excited that we had survived and that we were we're going to be back home together and we get to plan the rest of our lives together because we we're going to get married. So we came back in March 2004 and got married in August 2004. So I think we didn't have as much of a of a friction, if you will, where a lot of, I think, other married couples had, had to go through because it was, we really felt like we put our life on pause, went and did this deployment and came back and hit play again. Fast forward to our second deployment, he was a company commander during that time, and it was 15 months long, and I served as an LNO for our brigade to division. So we we're both actually at the same installation. We are both at Victory Base Complex. And so we got to see each other every single day, which is not something that everyone got to experience. I think for me, our stress load was because he was a company commander and he was going out onto the roads every single day and doing missions, and I was tracking those. It was, I knew what that meant. I knew what his mission meant versus the whole, I don't, I can only assume what the mission is if I had been home. So it was a different stress. And so, but we got to share that every single day. At the end of the day, it was going over what day, what the day was like for both of us. So when we came back home, he came home a month before I did. It was, again, we put our life on hold and now we hadn't played again. And now we, we're going to go do all the things that we didn't get to do in deployment, like go to a salsa bar or go eat 
takeout or whatever it is. Like it literally for us, I think we had a different type of transition and because we didn't have kids. So we didn't have necessarily to do that. And everything that we did in our household, I still did overseas. I still paid our bills. I still paid our mortgage. So it was just literally the environment that we found ourselves. Then I went on a third deployment. He went to grad school to University of Texas. I was a troop commander during that time. And I would say that was probably the very first time in our marriage and in our careers that we actually spent time apart. I went forward for a year. And when I came back, it we had to adjust to that because he was at home. And there was that angst of, well, I went to war and you stayed home and you got to sleep on our bed and I slept on a cot. And it was going through that and working through that and being reconnected again emotionally because we did grow. Like he was stressed out at, at grad school trying to um, finish the program so he could go to West Point to teach. And, and, and I was leading a troop and leadership is a lonely place to be. Um, and we we're out on the, t- you know, near the Tigers River. We we're out on a joint um, service station. It was small. And so I just, I just wanted to, to come back and hit play again. Like we had done the other two deployments, but this time we didn't get to do that. We had to literally kind of knit ourselves back together. And I would say what worked for us is that we had to do a lot of communication and we had to lean back in on our faith. And so, you know, we, we decided like, who hey, we need to go find a church family. Cause when I came home, I literally PCS and we went to West Point. So it's, we're in a new environment. We're in a new home. Let's go find a church and let's go back to, to the foundation of what a marriage is supposed to be. And I, that's really what saved us. Um, because I don't think if we did that, I don't think we'd be here today. That's important. I think what you mentioned there, going back to the roots, that oftentimes when you're deployed and you're apart, you're often on this, the weakest part of the branches on the tree. And instead of trying to go back to the beginning, it's like you try to keep building from that weak point instead of finding that that place of strength. Did you find that it was difficult to empathize with each other? Because like while he was struggling, I'm sure you were struggling, you both probably were like, well, you're going to get nothing on mine because I did this and you did that. Was that something that you ran into? At the time, yeah. Um, you know, I wanted to be supportive of what he was going through, but I, I honestly didn't understand. And I don't think he really understood how lonely I was where I was because I think he was leaning on the two times he had deployed and he's just like, hey, you got this, Olivia. Like, you've done this before. Yeah, he's witnessed it. You've, you've got it. There's right. no doubt that Olivia and can't so, do it. Right. And so I think we, we definitely didn't understand each other at that, at that moment. And now looking back, you know, it's a funny joke and, um, he'll tell you in, he says this to people is like, yep, Olivia likes to tell people. And when we're going to be grandmas and grandpas, that gram that grandma has three combat boots and grandpa only has two, you know? <laughs> so we could laugh about it now, but definitely, yeah, we didn't, we didn't understand each other. I, I, I was like, it's school. You're a genius. Like my husband is incredibly smart. And to me, I'm like, I don't understand why you can't do school. Like you're a genius. Do it. And he's looking at me like, you've done two deployments. You're an army officer. Figure it out. You know, we definitely had to grow through that. You know, safe to say that we did because we're still here 15 years later and 19 years in. There is a lot of what I love about your story. And what we talk about a lot on the dad podcast is legacy. Like when you first started talking about your dad and the thread that got you to where you are today, like all I could think about is the legacy of family, like, but it began in the legacy of service. And that's a lot of what I noticed with dads and anybody that really serves. We get stuck in the legacy of our service and we never leave that stage and focus on the legacy of our family. But as your dad left the service, 
you were grown into an adult. You identified who you are and you entered the service. You found your husband in the service. You're now together in the service, the same service where it all began. You're helping your kids enrich their life in a way that will probably continue with military service. And you don't realize it when you're doing those little steps as parents, but you're really creating generational change. Like your dad did things that he had no idea what the end result was, but I guarantee there's things that he did that made the person that you are today. And like, that's the generational change that you can do when you step into your role as a mother or a father, because you're not just affecting one person in one micro moment. You're giving the person the gift to be able to go and influence change into hundreds of years into the future. Absolutely. And I, you know, my dad gave me so many great lessons. You know, I think back when I was that young platoon leader, um, the stories that my dad would tell and like the advice he would give me because he was enlisted. And so he would always tell me at the end of the day, if you want your soldiers to follow you, you, they have to know that you love them and that you care for them and that you look out for them. And it, it was nice that when I was a young platoon leader in my very first job in the army, I was able to call up my dad and go, dad, I experienced this today at work. And this is what I thought was the right answer. And he's just like, okay, well, let's peel it back. And what could you have done better for your soldiers? And so I think that was a really, it was really cool to be able to share the army yet again with my dad through my own service and then lean on on him on his experience as a senior NCO and say, hey, dad, how, how do I work through this? Even though he served in the late 70s and 80s, the concept of leadership doesn't change and the way he doesn't change. And so while it was a different unit and a different date, the concept was the same and I was able to leverage my dad's knowledge. And I thought that was that was really cool to be able to to share those stories. And I think you have to like, it's crazy for you to live in your own irony because you you are the host of the Soldier for Life podcast and your family is literally like a poster board of what soldier or service and soldier for life is. Like every part of how your your fabric of your life is woven together is a soldier never stops. Your dad didn't stop giving advice to soldiers through you. Like that's often what it's like you, you live it every day and it's it's also the fabrics of your life as well. Yeah, you know what? Um, I, I think that's one of the the bonds that we have as um, between me and my dad is we talk about army. I will guarantee you, if my dad called me right now, um, it would be something about the army, whether it was something that he heard or saw or he remembered a story. And uh, you know, it's funny when I do go when I do get the opportunity to go and visit my folks back in Seattle. Um, I like like to go through his old picture books and look at his pictures when he was stationed in Korea or Germany because you know, I remember living there when I was a child. And it's just it's just really cool that when he told me those stories as a kid, I really didn't get it because, um, uh, you know, full of military jargon. But now as an adult and having been in the Army, I'm like, oh, I so get that now. Um, so it's really cool. I think it's just another way of being able to bond with my dad, uh, you know, and um, but I still laugh still to this day when, when I say something and I realize that I got it from my dad. Um, my dad used to say when, when he would get frustrated with, uh, with me and my two sisters growing up, he would yell. He's like, what is your major malfunction? <laughs> <laughs> I remember going up like, dumbest thing. Like what the <laughs> yeah. I remember the other day, my kid just got on my nerves and I was like, what is your major malfunction? I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm so my dad right now. Oh man, he just wanted my like, <laughs> yeah. right. Like all his like <laughs> his sayings that came from basic training. Um, you know, my dad, it's funny because I really didn't know this until 
till we kind of talked about it. But my dad was a smart aleck because I didn't, I never saw that side of him. You know, he was dad, he was in charge and he was serious. Yeah, he was the authority. Yeah. Right. But apparently that wasn't the case when he joined the army. He was, a, he was the smart Alec. He was the one that got in trouble by the drill sergeant all the time. Like they named the push up rock after him, Private McNeilis, because guaranteed my dad smarted off. <laughs> you know, and it's just so funny that so he has all these sayings that he says. And I'm like, oh, I, I get where those sayings come from now. And, you know, his, um, uh, you know, his cadence, the songs that he used to uh, tune, you know, hum to or sing. I'm like, what? What do you mean coffee tastes like turpentine and? the chicken jar. like what the heck like that doesn't make any sense but it's so cool now we laugh about it now i'm like i get you dad i get you you know you hit on a big topic that we talk about and if the dad's out there listening i want to point this out that when you tell those stories and you laugh in the way that we just did when your dad passes the part that you don't know when it's happening and you never know when your life's going to end but when we, when I was talking about earlier, when you give the stories of advice through stories like that, or give advice through stories, you give them a blueprint of how to connect with you. Like after your dad passes, you will always know how to remember your dad. There won't be a question like of who he was. What did he think? Like you have a, probably an encyclopedia of stories of like, what would dad do? And like a lot of kids out there have no idea how to answer that because their dads never revealed themselves to their kids. And we never engaged. And that's why this podcast exists because dads don't engage with their kids. They don't enter their lives to enrich them, to help them understand who they are. So that if you do pass or you do die in a deployment, they never forget who they are. Do you know who Ashley Buggy is? She's a a mill spouse and her uh, husband died in a diving accident in Hawaii like maybe five years ago. And he was a man that lived without bucket list. He PCSed Hawaii on a sail- sailing ship out of Los Angeles Harbor. Like that's kind of the bucket list kind of guy he was. After he passed, she took that legacy of no bucket list. And that's how she lived her life. I interviewed, interviewed her when she was in Poland, touring Europe with her family. And her kids were like four, three, and one. So like a young family going around Europe by herself with like maybe one of her friends, I think. And every time those kids want to know a dad, what it was like being dad, they just have to do something adventurous. And like, it was beautiful. And I realized that. And there's so many stories that I've interviewed where dads are giving their kids blueprints of how to connect with them. Because when you do pass, you know, we all know our time's limited and we don't know when it's going to end. But if we can give our kids something to hold on to, to understand who we were as they go forward, that's how you create legacy that keeps going. Like a veteran is only forgotten when people stop remembering his name. But if you don't give your kids something to remember, they're not going to have anything to repeat. Yeah, and I think my dad had a very unique um, look outlook as to why he wanted to connect with his kids so much. And, you know, for him, it's, um, you know, my dad was adopted, like I'd mentioned. And so he doesn't know who his dad is, right? And, and honestly, we just found out in two years ago that actually my Caucasian side is English. We c- thought maybe it might have been Irish. Um, we assumed it was Irish because it seems like everybody's Irish. But we actually really never knew what my dad's half side was. We knew he was half Korean because he knew his mom and um, remembers the day that she put him up in the orphanage. So he did it. We didn't we never knew. And he was adopted by an Irish family in America and grew up that way. But my dad has always yearned to be really connected with his own blood, you know, with his own family. And so when he had kids, he wanted a different story than what he had. 
he wanted to make sure that his blood knew who he was. Not not in the way of like she's gonna he or she's gonna carry my last name, but more of like I want you to know me in the flesh. And so his kids are like everything to him. You know, he wanted to make sure that his legacy lived through his. Yeah. And it was that gap that drove him to do that. Like he, he may, if he, if he knew his dad, you might not have the connection to your father that you have today. Like, so even though it was sad that he didn't know who his dad was, that drove him to be better and stronger. And like that had a positive outcome, even though it began on something negative. You know, so the nice thing is, you know, my dad did the 23 and me and it wasn't to find his dad. It was just to know from it, from a medical standpoint, like what is my other half? And through that 23 and me, that's how we found out that the majority of my dad's side is English. So now I can actually say like, I am English, whereas we didn't know that before. And we have found some uh, distant relatives um, through that side, but we haven't actually been able to connect um, which is unfortunate, but I think at the end of the day, what is more important to my dad is that that not only in the legacy of service to our nation, but also that family. Like that's the one thing that my parents have always stressed at the end of the day, especially in the Korean culture, it is about honoring your family. Family is the most important thing, period. You represent your family. Every success and every failure is a reflection of your family. And so he views success in life through the successes that his children are able to achieve. And so for him, you know, he's got three kids and um, two younger sisters and, you know, they are doing amazing things in their life. But, you know, for, for my dad and for me, our connection is the army. That's only word I can say is beautiful because that's what we talk about. And, the one downside of military families is there's a lot of broken families out there that there's a lot of ones that didn't make it through that end in divorce. Like the military divorce rate is something I'm not sure what it's currently at, but it's not something to be proud of. And there's some advice that I give dads who've been isolated or anybody really this advice works for when they've been isolated from their family and they don't get to be part of their kid's life. Open a Gmail account, keep the password to yourself and just write emails to it. When something's on your heart, a story, maybe your side of a story. If it's a, a spat with your spouse, like always just keep writing emails or sending pictures, different things like that of things that you want your kids to know, like a time capsule. And when they're older, give them the password. And that allows them to know who you are in a way that they wouldn't have been able to at that time. And it's dads when every time I've given that advice, dads are, they, they feel a little bit more excited because you're not meant to do life without your kids. Like you, you need to be there. And if sometimes the world doesn't let you be there and like knowing that they can still be there with that idea, like it's, it allows them to still help that legacy continue. And in a way that you don't think can in the current circumstances. Well, I think in this conversation, we painted my life in a, in a very positive note that it's been easy. I would, you know, yes, there are some, there are some stories that I have not had to write or live through, but you know, it wasn't necessarily easy for us all the time. You know, my dad was a private in the army when he had me. He was, they didn't make anything. This is the 80s army, right? They, they had worse paychecks than we did today. Um, but that was the one thing my parents have always stressed was uh, you know, you have to work hard. Like nothing will be ever given to you. You have to work for what you want. And I think that is a great a great foundation that they've been able to pass on to me. Um, it's one of the reasons why um, I've been able to do what I do 
while I might not be the smartest tool in the shed or the sharpest one, um, I'll work hard you know, and, and, and making sure that I take care of those that I'm entrusted to take care of. And that has always been the most important thing to me whenever I have the opportunity to lead um, men and women is, you know, what would my dad have done if he was here? How would he have led them? And so I think that's really cool. You have the blueprint to keep that going. And that allows you to be a stronger person as you go into your life like that, something you can never take back and, and you never want to like, that's something you want, that'll run you to the end of your days. And and you're going to keep it going with your kids. So it's just, I've, I've absolutely loved the conversation where we took it because I wasn't exactly sure where it was going to go, but it went exactly where it needed to go because legacy is one of the biggest takeaways of this podcast and that the legacy of fatherhood, the legacy of being a mother, all of those matter and they're happening whether we choose to engage them with them or not. And I always tell dads, it's time to come home because your kids need you and the role of fatherhood matters. And I think you're absolutely right, you know, uh, in our own family. So for those that know me beyond just the voice or on social media, but I share that our, we have a blended family. So my sister lives with me along with her son, my nephew, and my nephew and my son are exactly the same age. They're seven weeks apart. So I jokingly always say we have twins in the house because there are, so there are three kids and three adults in this house. And to me, my nephew is, is a son to me, right? Everything is equally the same. Whatever I buy my kids, he gets to. And, you know, it's just, it's unfortunate, but their life didn't fall out exactly the way that she had planned. And the beautiful thing is I get to share life with her. So she lives with us and I get to see my nephew every single day and grow into this, this cute little guy. Um, and my kids know them as their brother. That's not their cousin. It's their brother. And the unfortunate part is that, you know, his dad, isn't in his life for whatever reason. And so I think the really nice thing is that we we get to do what we've always believed in, which is be a family. We are there for our family because our family matters to us. And uh, we get to give my nephew um, all the things that he needs to be enriched in his life. You know, it's, ne- it's never perfect. Life is never perfect. But, you know, I hope that I equip my nephew to to be just as successful as the way I equip my kids. And so I think it is important that dads that are listening that, you know, you do have to step up. You, you do have to be part of their life. Um, however that is, whether it's through phone calls or FaceTime or notes, but it, I think it's important. And that's the one thing that I would wish for my nephew is that he, that his dad knows him. Um, and maybe one day right now. Kids always have those questions. Like it's scars on their heart that they never understand the answers to. There's even things like, well, why didn't my father love me enough to stay? Or why wasn't I valued enough to be in his life? Like what, 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 what's broken in me that wasn't worthy to receive him in my life? Like those are questions that really F up a person's ability to feel love for themselves because in the beginning of their life, someone said that I'm not going to be a part of your life. And that often, and that's, it's something that uh, most adults don't even realize those threads are tied back and what you talked about there is something that like to, to go a little bit uh, sad, but like a lot of dads end up feeling the solution to their problems is to either let their life explode and remove themselves or they physically remove themselves and think of themselves as a burden to the pain that they're feeling and they take their own life. Just last week, I was uh, a dad came to my attention and he had four kids and he was out of the army, but he took his own life and 
interesting how we've talked about family as our legacy and, and way we've talked about it because the two solutions that can almost overcome any obstacle are family and love, whether it be fear or any of those. Like a few weeks ago, I did an episode on, uh, on Frozen and how Elsa actually has a version of a veteran ever inside of every one of us as an Elsa. And the story that she goes through, fear, conquering, and enabling her power and stepping into her, her true self, that's the story of a dad, a mom that just doesn't know how to engage, but it all got fixed with love and family. Like Anna brought love and family and just continuing to be there, she was able to get her sister through that. And her sister kept running from it, and yet it still needed to be connected to family in the end to help get her through. And it's, it's just, all we've talked about today is the solution to a lot of what dads and moms don't feel like they have the ability to, which is just love and be connected with family. Even though it's scary, that family can, you can move mountains with family if you have the right intentions and the right connections and the solutions at the center, not on the outsides where you think you can just remove yourself. Yeah. I mean, family's messy. Let's just be honest. It's are messy. You love them. You hate them. You wish you didn't have them, but at the end of the day, it is your family. And um, our family is far from perfect. We've got our own, you know, soap opera drama filled stories, but I wouldn't change it for the world. And, uh, you know, I love the fact that I get to do life every single day with my, uh, with my sister. She's my middle sister that lives with me. And um, it's not perfect. There are days that we want to strangle each other, but, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun at the same time. And it's really cool that I do really get to share this life with her and with my nephew because he's just a cute little bugger. So super excited. I get to see him every day. Well, as we wrap up this interview, what do you think a parting piece of parenting advice that you want to leave the audience that you've learned in your trials as a, a mom to a son and a girl, like what's your, your best piece of a parenting advice you want to give out there? You know, so this is going back to leaning in my faith and what I believe, but I tr truly believe that it takes both parents, however that is, however that's designed, um, whether it's in the house or out of the house, but it takes both parents to really develop a child. Through your parents, you, lear you learn love, self-worth, confidence. And I think it's important that we give those tools and enable our children to be able to be equipped for their life and to teach those lessons every single day. Um, especially for our little girls. If you have a little daughter, you know, teaching her that her self worth is not defined by anybody. It's defined by what she thinks of herself and that she can't be limited by what others say. Um, it's really about how far she's willing to go. And then I think for, for boys, I think it's important that we teach our sons that that you can be a game changer. And just because that's been the way it's always been is not the answer. And here's what I'm trying to drive at. Um, it's how we talk to each other. Uh, when I was a company commander, I was very big on, because I had a majority predominantly male company, and I would hear them say like, oh, you hit like a girl, you run like a girl. And I would stop that. I'm like, no, you just said through that action that a girl is less than you. We're different. We're biologically different and that is okay. Celebrate those differences, but don't compare me from a lesser standpoint because would you ever want to limit your ch child, your daughter, your sister, your mother, your aunt? And every single time when I ask that question, when I break it down, the answer is no, I wouldn't. 
Is that okay? So change your vocabulary, change how you treat each other, change how you talk. And I think that's important that we teach our sons that. Um, it's not the good old good old boy club. It's not because we've always said it that way. We need to change that. And I think when we start changing the way we talk and the way we expect them to talk, we can make big changes in our culture, not only in the military, but also in society. And I think that's very important uh, for the men in our lives and for the and for the men that we are entrusted to develop. That's beautiful. And I always say that if, if military parents, if we can help our kids figure out who they are, figure out their gifts and enter the world and understand how they can change it, like the crazy thing starts happening is that they actually start changing it. And military kids see a world that most kids never see. And so if we can help our kids enter that world in a way that they have a leg up on the other kids because they've seen more and experienced more than most kids ever experience their lifetime, they're going to go out there and do an amazing things. And that's why motherhood and fatherhood matters. And what you said there was beautiful. That it's, It was gift wrapped in perfectly there. And I, it's just, I can't even, I'm trying to think of anything extra to add to it. There's nothing to add to it. It's just exactly what it needs to be said. So Olivia, where's the best place for people to connect with the Soldier for Life podcast? Absolutely. Thanks for asking. So Soldier for Life podcast, we are hosted off, off of Lipson, but you can find wherever you get your podcast, which is on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. And we share all of our content on all of our social media platforms. We are predominantly on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So I highly encourage any military part of the community. You don't have to be part of the Army. It could be any of our services. Again, Active Guard Reserve, our veterans, and our military spouses to follow us on all of our social platforms because we're always giving out good information. And you know, and let us know how we can help the military community become a better, more enriched place. And again, I will always say this, share your story because your stories matter. And that's how we, you know, by through sharing, that's how we get the next generation to stand up and serve our beautiful country. I love that. And that those stories are so powerful because when you start having conversations, other people will, will reflect back the value that maybe that you can't see. And my favorite transition advice is tied right into that, that the amount of strangers that you talk to daily is tied to directly to the amount of opportunity that you feel in your life. And your story is the best vehicle to draw that opportunity towards you. And the more friendships you have on the ocean, the more opportunity floats your way on a shore. And I love what the Soldier for Life podcast does. I love your story of how you're the host of it and you get to live your dream every day of kind of like being that legacy and helping inspire that soldiering doesn't stop when you take the uniform off. It's just a moment in time, but the core values of everything you have continue on. Well, Olivia, I have appreciated this interview. We went in places that, like I said, when we bring the other side to the table, we get information that you just don't get any other way and you get value out there. And I just really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. No, thank you. Appreciate the chance and love the opportunity to be able to share uh, with the military veteran dads that are out there. So thank you. Thank you so much. Guys, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you got out just as much as I did. I can't tell you how many gold nuggets were in that episode, but some of the big ones that I took away is I loved how we talk about how she talked about she kind of had this fear of parenting later in life. That's something I think a lot of parents struggle with but aren't actively talking about, and that was so great that she explained 
expose that fear that we, most parents have that we aren't talking about. I guarantee there were so many different parents out there, maybe even you listening to that, that got a little bit of art at that story. Living in your kid's imagination, that's some of my favorite advice I like to give dads who struggle to really connect with their kids. Like, don't worry about what your kids need. They just need your time and they just need your imagination and for you to help expand their imagination. That's some of the simplest ways that you can come home to your kids. Trying to be blend as a military child, I absolutely loved how she revealed this story in her life of growing up and trying to be Caucasian and how that was really something she had to go through an awareness of that she was really Olivia and not someone else, that her heritage was something that made her stronger. It wasn't something that she had to learn to hide. That was something I think so many people are going to resonate. Learning to recognize your self-worth. I know that's going to resonate out there because it resonates with me. It was something I had to struggle with a lot when I was first growing through this process and just figuring out who I was and more importantly, who I wanted to be on the other side of going through all this growth and figuring out who I am and trying to do big things in my life. And exposing ourselves to diversity. That's something I love about military families and being a military dad is we have so much depth to the world that if we can just give a little bit of that to our kids, even a lot of it, but even a little bit will go a long way to help our kids. And the legacy of service, that was something that Olivia painted perfectly. And I love how it is ironic that she is the host of the Soldier for Life podcast and her life is almost a testament of being a soldier for life. Guys, I hope you loved that episode. I hope you got a lot out of it. Don't forget to check out Soldier for Life podcast. There's a link down there in the show notes. You can check them out on Instagram. And I also included a link for her profile on LinkedIn if you want to go ahead and collect, connect with Olivia. She's an amazing individual. I've met her a few times. I've been on stage with her. Love, great person to get to know and have in your network and have as a friend to call. So guys, I'm going to wrap up, close this one out, and I will talk to you guys again on Fatherhood Friday.